you're in luck. I get to preach as well this morning. Aren't you excited that you decided to come to church? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Frank and Terry are celebrating 40 years of marriage this weekend, and so they're out celebrating. So he's asked me to come and lead you in the message. <clears throat> we have just finished the Lord's Supper, and if we go back to the scriptures, we kind of find out what happened next. Now, if you went to the book of Matthew, there's not much. Matthew says, okay, they finished, they prayed, they sang a hymn, and off they went. Um, Luke was the same way. But it's John who writes the most extensive part of what happened. Because could you imagine sitting there with the disciples, and Jesus has just told them that here's his body that would be broken, here's blood that will be shed, and this is a new covenant. Now, John happened to be the closest to Jesus, and so he records in his book, starting in chapter 17. So let's flip over to 17 of John. Um, there are Bibles in the rack underneath the chairs if you need one. Now, we know that starting in chapter 13 of John is the Last Supper. But then for the next few chapters... Jesus talks to his disciples on a, a multitude of issues. And I'm sure all of them were at times confused. And then he comes to the chapter 17, which is called Christ's heavenly prayer, priestly prayer. And let's read that. These things that Jesus spoke and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou givest him authority over all mankind, and to all whom, he, whom thou hast given, he may give eternal life. This is the eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given to me. And now glorify thou me to gather with thyself, Lord. Father, this glory which I have from thee before the world was. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou hast given to me of this world. Thou have, and they have gave them to me, and thou have kept the word. He goes on to all that. Now, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, the one that I've spent 40 years learning and reading. So, yes, it's a little more King James-ish than NIV, but as we go through that passage, he's, he's saying, Lord, you have given me important things to do. I have fulfilled them. You have given me these disciples, and starting in chapter verse 6, you have given them to me, and I pray for them. I want to move on down to verse and that's where we're going to focus on the next few moments is I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in unity, that the world may know that thou did send me and did love them, even as thou loved me. Okay, that whole passage, when I started looking at that, it really came down to a couple things, especially in verse 20 to 23. He's, he's praying for us. Not only did he pray for his disciples, but he's, he is praying for us at that moment. For those who believe based upon the word that was shared by the disciples. It is still true today. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray that they who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And I in them and and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The focus of those passages is unity because we know that God was in Christ and Christ was in in God and he is calling us to be that same way. Now, this is not an outward uh, organizational type of unity, but an inward spiritual unity based upon the believer's life in Christ. Because of their unity with Christ, since the one who joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. All believers are one with each other as well. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And the reason why is it's because the spirit who has been given to us by, the, by God to make us one. Who reveals all wisdom, all knowledge, all insight. And how does this spiritual unity manifest itself? Flip to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. There's four marks of this unity that characterizes the church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... If any tendency and compassion, excuse me, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather in humility. Value one another above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you the interest of others. There's four things that Paul talks about unity in that. First, unity results in the believers being of the same mind. This does not mean that they share all the same likes and dislikes, nor does it entail complete agreement in all the secondary things of life. We can all disagree on the color of the paint for the walls. We may have a different opinion about a multitude of issues. But the unity that we share is based in Christ. And he says, this one, be of one mind. It signifies true believers are controlled by deep knowledge 
of the word of Christ that is energizing in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we walk in the Spirit, we maintain the same spiritual attitude. We are devoted to Christ. We walk in step with others in that devotion of Christ, being that same mind of glorifying Christ, of glorifying the Father, seeking His wisdom and discernment. Secondly, unity results in the believers maintaining the same love, that same love that Jesus experienced. They are to love one another equally. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have the same emotional expression of love towards one another, but it's talking about the agape love that John has talked about before. It is expressed when believers are devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. Romans 12, verse 1. Thirdly, unity results in believers being united in spirit. The Greek word for me, that literally means one soul. It relates to the passionate, common commitment to the same spiritual goals. By definition, excludes the countless, excludes the decisive attitudes as personal ambition, selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, and countless other manifestations of that evil fruit of self-love. Fourthly, This unity results in believers being intent on one purpose. Because we are the same mind and love one another and are united in spirit, they have the same goal, advancing the kingdom of God. But believers can interrupt their spiritual unity by fleshly behavior and needing to exhort to have one mind striving together for, for the faith of the gospel. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's hard work as a body of believers to be unified for the purpose of focusing on what God has called us to do. That kingdom building, that kingdom advancement. But in our obsessive, tolerant age that we live in, the opposite extreme poses a far greater threat to true spiritual unity. In the sake of love, many work hard to achieve a superficial, false, sinful unity that is broad enough to embrace false Christians and even those who deny the central truth of the Christian faith. Genuine biblical love, however, cannot be divorced from biblical truth. Ephesians 4, verse 5. Far from compromising that God's people are called to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. We find that in Jude, verse 3. The true church of Jesus Christ cannot unite with those who deny the essence, essence, truth of the gospel or who affirm false gospel. It is important to understand that we are bound together by central truth, that truth that only is found in Christ. When we see in verse 20 that Jesus is praying for that type of unity for the disciples, but also for us. He was looking ahead for centuries of future believers and praying for us. Christ's intercessory 
for us, which began with this prayer 2,000 years ago, continues to this day. Since he has always lived to make intercessory for us, Hebrews 7, chapter, verse 25, he said that he will give us his spirit. And at the day of Pentecost, it was given to all those who believe. And every person since who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ has been given that same spirit. We are united with Christ because of that. No longer are stuff written on stone tablets, but upon our hearts. We see that those disciples were faithful. Though they were probably unknown of what was going to happen over the next few years, they they wrote down what Jesus told them. The written word that they did was for generations to read and to understand and believe. Christ knew disciples would fulfill their role in this redemptive history. I'm sure they didn't think they would, but Jesus did. The gospel will prevail despite the disciples' weakness, the world hatred for them, and Satan's opposition. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, these early disciples would begin the chain of events of witnesses that have continued unbroken down to this present day. Look at verse 21. That they all may be one. Stop and think for a moment that they, they all may be one. If you remember the disciples, they were an odd lot of individuals, fishermen, tax collectors, zealous. Not all of them were on the same mind, but they all followed Jesus. And they all understood in time exactly what was going on. Despite their awkwardness and their zealous, and we even see that in Peter's life, especially because in that same section, Peter said that he would stand for Christ. He would not leave, and Christ had to remind him, yes, you will. But we see the redemption that happens after at um, the seashore, where Christ redeems Peter. Now, <clears throat> we know that our faith comes to really a very central truth. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and the, and the commitment to the Scripture. Our faith is based in Christ, through grace, in faith alone. Martin Luther used to write that all the time. He reminded people that by faith alone you are saved. This fulfillment of Jesus' prayer started with the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. A few days after, we, we saw the fulfillment of Christ's prayer by the establishment of the church. Suddenly, sovereignty, supernaturally, believers were united by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And all who have been saved since has immediately received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we flip to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Paul lists some of those features of that Holy Spirit created unity. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So let's check those off. One body, the body of Christ, which is comprised of believers since the church conception on the day of Pentecost. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, apart from whom no one can believe in Christ Jesus. That spirit is also the agent by which Christ baptizes believers into his body. One hope is a promise, eternal inheritance guaranteed to every believer by the Holy Spirit. One Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the sole head of the body. One faith, the faith which all was, was once for all handed down to the saints. One baptism, water baptism, the believer's public confession of faith in Jesus Christ. One God and Father of all, of all who is over all, through all, and in all. The only true God, sovereign rule of everything, including the church. He continues in the rest of the passage of John that looking at to pray for unity for him for the, and the Father. Just like Jesus, Jesus and Christ is, and the Father is bound together, unified together to do God's purpose. Shows evidence of the role that it may be believed that the Father has set in the Son. God's plan of redemption was Jesus' mission of salvation, to seek and today which was lost. It also gives evidence of the Father's love for believers. The loving unity of the church is made visible to be used by God to produce a desire in the parts of unbelievers to experience that same type of love, even though at times we don't do well. It is still God working through us to draw others because of the love we have for one another. Okay, so that's the essence of the passage. But the question then comes is, how do we get to the point that we achieve this unity? Because I don't like this person over here. Oh, sorry, Curtis, don't mean you. <laughs> and I don't care for what he has said. But we do have differences in our lives. We are very different. If you were asked a question, you would get 50 different answers. But there's a lot more that binds us together in unity than just separates us. I might not like blue color paint on the walls. But, you know, that's not a big issue. If that's what helps to advance the kingdom, then let's do it. And that's the, the important part of that unity. We bind, we bind ourselves together. Now, there is one important element of that unity that we all seek for. And I really believe wholeheartedly it's prayer. Without prayer, we do not know what God wants us to do. We don't commune with him. We don't hear his voice in our hearts. We don't seek him to find out what his purpose is for us, his decision on this matter. We tend to walk in briefly and say, okay, let's pray. Three seconds later, we're done. Amen. Lord, bless this time and now, let's get on to what we need to do. 
without spending the time in prayer. Now, individually, we pray all the time. Driving down the highway, um, waiting in line as you're waiting to check out. Uh, There are constantly times that you have prayer. We do prayer in our quiet time. When you're falling asleep. When you have a quiet moment, you are sitting there and you let your mind dwell upon Christ. You are praying. The other part of that is corporate. When we gather together as a part of the body of believers and pray. Now, we do that in a variety of ways. We Sunday school classes will always do prayer time. Meetings will always do a few moments of prayer before we start in the end. We do it in church services. We do a lot of that. Sometimes we do prayer groups. So we do a little bit of that. But do we truly come together as a body believer, united in Christ, to seek him? We know that God answers prayer. But I would like to share with you a deeper way to tap into that unity that Christ is praying about in John chapter 17. And I encourage you that this year, as you always say, we need to do new resolutions. I'm going to do better with my weight. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to stop eating all those donuts. I'm going to, I'm going to eat healthy. Great. But I want to challenge you, each of you, to pray more this year. To find more ways to pray with one another. To have small groups of prayer various times. In spite of what the world around you may say. You may end up meeting somebody at Panera's for coffee. You know, perfect opportunity. Where Christ is where two or three are gathered. I shall be in the midst. Shoot, two at Panera's. We know Christ is there. Then why don't you pray there? We, we are encouraged to pray, individuals pray at home, in their cars, at various times. But how much do we encourage them to pray corporately with other believers in the body of Christ? I know for a fact that you can't hate somebody if you're praying for them. <laughs> because it's just not going to happen. You will be changed first. God's going to get in there and work on your heart and soul and says, he's a believer, and and he's a part of the body. He's my part of the body. And you can't, just like Paul says, can't hate part of the body, saying, well, you're not an eye, so you're not worth anything. You have to be the arm. When you pray for someone, you can't hate. In fact, God does such a tremendous thing in your life, and all of a sudden, you're more sensitive and more compassionate to that person no matter what they have done or have not done to you. We use scripture to prime the pump of prayer. To get to that deeper level, emotional level, we can't get by ourselves. We need the scriptures to help us. And that starts that process of focusing upon Christ. So there's a couple challenges I want to leave with you. I would say start this new year. One, I encourage and challenge you to pray more individually in your life. 
Make it a priority in your life. Take those opportunities to pray when you have a few moments. And it can be a variety of ways to do that. I also challenge each of you to be involved in a prayer group of some sort where you set a period of time aside to pray for one another, for Christ's kingdom's purpose, to unite us together. I challenge every leader of ministries in this church to make it a viable part of each meeting or gathering you have. Spend time in prayer, more than a few moments to open the meeting up or to close it. Let's join our hearts together and seek Christ and only Christ and give him the glory in this. Give him honor. Ask for his help and discernment. And that's what we're going to do for the next few moments. We're going into prayer. And if you feel led to voice a prayer out loud, please do so. We're going to pray for one another. Uh, I want you to realize that I've celebrated 15 years of ministry with you. I love coming to church. Sunday is my funnest day. It's one of the most busy and, and packed day. But I love coming to church because what happens is I get to spend time with you. I get to worship with you with Christ. What a joy that is. What an encouragement it is for me. I hope it is for you. So let's take the next few moments and let's pray. And if you feel led, you want to voice a prayer, please do so. And at the appropriate time, I will close. So let's join our hearts in prayer.